0: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, uh, we are now on Sunday, November 15, uh, time for the results to have sunk in. Even the president, I think, is sort of semi-acknowledging it. He was saying today it is rigged, and that's going to be his mantra for the next four years. But yesterday he let it slip when he was talking about, well, you know, whatever the next administration, you know, whoever that might be. I think it's it's like I the mean, five, five stages of grief, no, you know, followed, the denial and so on. It's sinking in. He followed
1: you think? that up with a tweet early this morning saying, I concede nothing. I mean, this guy really can't get it through his brain. Or, uh, more likely, in my opinion, uh, this is all part of the, the narrative that he's setting up. He's saying, uh, I'm going to hold out until the December 14 electors uh, vote in the Electoral College. Uh, and at that point, I will say uh, that it was stolen from me. And maybe then he'll concede. That's my, my most, that's where I'm putting my. Money is uh, December 15.
0: We get to the angry, bitter, I don't deserve this, but I have to concede speech. Well, whether or not he actually concedes really isn't the point so much. I mean, he's never going to concede in a traditional way, it's always going to have an asterisk. It's like the apology. Well, I want to apologize if anybody was offended because they're so st- stupid and thin-skinned right, that right, they right. That uh, f- did feel offended. So yeah. isn't it, I mean, A, because it's his personality to his dying day, he's he's going to maintain this position that it was uh, stolen from him. And B, he wants to think about keeping his options open if he wants to run again in 2024. Right. He wants to be able to look back and say, okay, folks, that you 71 million people have voted for me, and I hope you'll vote for me again. And even more, you and I know what happened. Mm-hmm. And we've even seen rallies in the last couple of days thousands of people i guess turned out uh, to uh, to support trump so it seems like that's that's what his focus is yeah so we're going to talk about the uh, sort of an election postmortem what should the future focus be of the democrats And the Republicans. Uh, We're also going to talk about an interesting case out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out here in the West concerning gun rights and uh, uh, whether large capacity magazines should be banned. Uh, Got kind of an unusual right of center ruling out of the Ninth Circuit. Yeah. And uh, we may get into the vaping controversy. What uh, should the strategy be to uh, try to deal with the uh, uh, epidemic of vaping, especially among younger folks in the United States? So what about the future focus, Uh, Connor? Do you think the Democrats are maybe maybe they made a mistake in a sense of going for kind of a huge uh, victory, you know, in the past, Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon had 49 states to one Uh, victories, just inconceivable in in this new modern political era. Yeah, there are so many states that are absolutely going to go blue, and so many are absolutely going to go. And yet we do actually see flips. Joe Biden, uh,
1: you know flipped uh, the, the turn the tables on the Republicans by flipping the historically red states of Arizona and Georgia. Those are huge turnarounds. And that is, in our current era, what a lot of people would say is a massive upset, right? That's we're not going to get Texas and we're not going to get Florida. We're certainly not going to get them all in the same year. It's just ridiculous. And Democrats as a DNC is setting themselves up for failure when they say, oh, my gosh, we're going to win this. We're going to win that. We're going to do really well. And expectations are always going to be, uh, you know, their uh, their their weakness when people say, oh, you you underperformed how well you thought you were going to do because they were talking a big game. And they've got to walk a fine line between setting realistic expectations but also getting their people excited. And right now I think they're erring too much on the side of trying to get their people excited uh, about something. And, and the fallout from that is that people are looking at uh, a popular vote win of more than 5 million votes, two massively important electoral college state flips, Arizona and Georgia, and they're looking at that and saying, that doesn't look like a mandate. Whereas the Republicans, I think, did a really good job after 2016 of saying, oh, my gosh, we got 306 or whatever electoral votes. It's a it's a tsunami. It's a red tide. It's a, a, it's a mandate. We've got to go in there and cut taxes for billionaires because that's what the American people want. And I think Democrats are really falling down on the job by not telling a cohesive story like that.
0: Well, when you talk about the historic flips, I mean, going into the election when the polls had Biden up, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 yeah, points. Yeah. And you know who knows? We talked a little bit last week about whether the shy Trump voter existed and to what degree. But whatever the cause was, the expectation was this could be a really historic election for the Democrats. Right. When you look at how uniquely unpopular and distasteful Donald Trump was, just from a, a personality, an attitude standpoint, and when you look at the Huge wave of support for progressivism in the United States. The Black Lives Matter movement, yep. uh, the popularity of, of you know AOC and Bernie Sanders. Almost, you know, he gave it a good run four years ago. Uh, he gave it a really solid run this year. I mean, if it weren't for, I think it was down in South Carolina when Joe Biden just kind of pulled a rabbit out of a hat, it, yeah. it could have been a Bernie Sanders year. Could have. When you when you see the potential that the Democrats had. I mean, shouldn't there be a little bit of disappointment? They, yeah, they flipped a couple of states, but I mean, Donald Trump got more votes than anybody in the history of the United States, except for Joe Biden yeah. in this election, uh, You're he, right. Even, even though he, you know, the pollster said uh, going into the last several months before the election, Donald Trump. Has never cracked fifty percent. He's never gotten above fifty percent approval, mm-hmm. and no American president in history yeah. has ever won re-election without exceeding fifty percent popularity in his own first term after yeah. he won. So and I think that combined that, I mean, sh- shouldn't we have seen more flips for the Democrats?
1: I think that that uh, the the over polling uh, of Democrats uh, and the uh, under polling of Donald Trump and the over uh, over polling uh, of Trump's disapproval rating, I think, are symptoms of the fact that trump is so different than any other candidate that we've ever seen that we are polling for him wrong and we are surveying people uh their opinions about him wrong when you say his disapproval rate is high but then his likely will vote for him anyway rate was still high so people dislike him personally we it's so rare that we have a candidate who people are willing to dislike personally but then hold their nose and vote for and or dislike or disapprove of uh, uh Personally, but dislike the other side so vehemently and be so afraid of the Joe Biden, you know, taking their guns and uh, putting them in a gulag or something, that they will then vote for uh, uh, the guy they see as the freedom uh, and justice candidate, uh, Donald Trump, even though they personally recognize that he has any moral failings. So, of course, there uh, it sort of relieves their stress to be able to say, "Yes, I disapprove of him, but then I also vote for, vote for him." I think that is a failing of our our polling and our surveying that we are treating Donald Trump like a normal candidate he is absolutely not a normal candidate he's a far-right populist and populists are uh their job is to say, I am your weapon against the elites. I will shove it down their throats. I will stick them in the eye. I will make them cry. I will make, you know, you'll be able to drink liberal tears. And that's what his voters want. And it's very hard to poll accurately for that as opposed to, you know, compare him to a George Bush. Like, a, a George Bush st- was still trying to be an inspiring president who tries to, you know, we're going to defend the homeland for, after 9-11 and we're going to, you know, uh, cut balance the budget and we're going to, you know, do c- traditional conservative things. Donald Trump doesn't care about any of that. Donald Trump doesn't care about balancing the budget. He ran his deficit up higher than it's ever been in American history. Donald Trump doesn't care about uh, defending, uh, the home, uh, defending the home, defending homeland, or, or defend. He cares about the homeland maybe, but he doesn't care about defending uh, democracy and justice abroad. He's an isolationist who says, "I'm going to end endless wars. I'm going to pull our, our our guys back." Uh, which is, uh, you know, the elites have been spending your kids' lives in foreign countries. I'm going to end that, and that was really hard for people to judge and uh, to poll on and survey on because it wasn't a classically consistent Conservative position. It's not a classically conservative position. It's a populist position, and that's it's a very different thing. I think it's
0: a it's a failing of polling and surveying. So some people uh, were a little critical of the Democrats that you know they they saw the electoral landscape and they they thought this could be the year we could the we big could, one we could go for this big you know forty nine yeah, the brass to ring to one type victory and yet. I mean, it seems like, although people complain about the Electoral College and it, with the emphasis on the smaller states, it seems like even though the Electoral College is still alive and well, mm-hmm. both parties are kind of acting as if it doesn't exist because they know pretty much where the, the you know couple of dozen smaller states are going to fall on the purple or blue or red scale. And instead, they're going after the population centers. I mean, everybody knows now that Philadelphia drives Pennsylvania. We know Atlanta drives Georgia right we know Chicago drives Illinois San Francisco and Los Angeles obviously from the Republican standpoint it's a lost cause right. in California anyway but aren't we already just kind of tilting toward going for those clusters of uh, uh, population centers even though it really isn't the popular vote even though the Democrats know to their chagrin they, they can occasionally win the popular vote and still lose the election well, occasionally they've been doing it consistently now I mean you're you're right well, that twice they... back since 2000 before yeah. that it was a pretty you know rare history historical anomaly, but now we, we've kind of come to expect it. Right. This is... A This is true that both parties are chasing population
1: centers, but it's not true that they're ignoring the Electoral College. I think the Republicans did an incredibly good job of, for example, as we've seen discussed all over all the shows recently, micro-targeting Cuban-Americans in Miami-Dade County, Florida, and saying this is a stronghold uh, where uh, Clinton did incredibly well in Miami-Dade. And in order to lock down Florida and all its electors— All we've got to do is flip some of the minority vote in Miami-Dade County, and that's going to be enough. And then we're going to get 100 percent of Florida. And, I mean, this is a symptom of the way the Electoral College works. When it's first past the post, you win an entire state, and then you get all their electors— You just have to get a carve away a tiny bit of somebody's base and then boom, uh, you've got the whole state. Not to mention the fact that the only way Republicans hold power and hold the presidency in any foreseeable future and in any next couple of elections, at least until things dramatically change, is that they hold the. Outsized power that comes with all the Wyoming's of the world. You've got to get those extra electoral uh, votes to just barely get there. Every path that Donald Trump had to the uh, to the White House included solidly every single one of those states that gives you a boost because it's so small. There basically are none of those that are blue strongholds because the states that have major cities, urban centers in them, uh, are uh, either battlegrounds or blue strongholds. It's you know it's the it's the it's the Jackson Hole, Wyoming's that can, that go for Trump.
0: When we come back we're going to talk about the effect of Donald Trump's populism on the election. But before that now usually I ask you to talk uh, to folks about how they can rate and subscribe, but I'm going to pull an audible here, Ooh, literally an audible right. counter right. because we're going to have, go long. We have our fine Alexa device here, so I'm going to try something to and we'll say uh, to Alexa, Editor, Alexa, could you get ready to fix this cuz it's going to go wrong? Oh no, this is going to go great. Alexa, play Too Many Lawyers podcast. Let's see what happens.
1: Playing too many lawyers
0: from Apple Podcast. Playing the latest episode. Election litigation. Okay, I think we've established wow, that I got it. That. that I got it right. You're so like a tech wizard. That's another way that you can get to too many lawyers. But Connor's going to tell you how you can rate and
1: subscribe. Yeah, please check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts. from on basically every platform. Leave us a review and uh, you know, mark us five stars because we're great. Uh, it really helps us out. And you know, if you like the show enough and you want to chat about it with somebody else, that's my favorite part of podcasts. Send it
0: to a friend. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is too many lawyers. I'm Royo. I'm still Connor Oakes. So populism by Donald Trump. You yeah. remember Connor? Uh, the uh, Republicans were told after Obama won in 2012, mm-hmm. and crushed Mitt Romney. You're done. It's over. You're yeah, cooked. You're finished. The, the Democrats said to the Republicans, "Hey guys, uh, total nice concern try. trolling. Nice try. Yeah. You know, you really did your best. Yeah, well, we'll but get you got to give with the times. Yeah, but the, read the demographic charts. Yeah, Republicans. you're doomed. You're doomed uh, every single year. You'll
1: never win again. You're,
0: your racist slice gets thinner. Yeah, <laughs> waffle thin. Waffle thin." Yeah. And so Donald Trump's populism kind of
1: overcame that. Oh, absolutely. Totally turned it on its head, uh, rewrote the entire story. And it's hard to know whether you can give credit to the RNC for actually tapping into that and saying, oh, we knew we were going to lose if we put up a Mitt Romney against Clinton. Uh, And so we threw a Hail Mary pass with Donald Trump or whether Trump just came out of nowhere, you know, from the top rope with a chair and uh, and surprised everyone. I don't know. Uh, Do you give Republicans credit for making the Donald Trump choice? Uh,
0: Do you think it was a secret back Ordeal, or do you think they just got lucky? Oh, I think they got lucky in the sense that, that Donald Trump was this you know, black swan mm-hmm. uh, once in in a century weird political, maybe once in three centuries, because, uh, I mean, here he came out of nowhere with no political background, and it was all about him being a a reality TV star, and his personality somehow not being repugnant and abrasive to people, but instead, oh my gosh, he's so watchable, I can't look away. Oh, look, he made fun uh, of Marco Rubio. Uh, Oh, look, he made fun of Jeb's low energy. He knocked them off one after another. Yeah. And there was so much resentment against elites, there was this groundswell of populism, but now that we fast forward to today, how do you explain the fact that this was such a close election? Latinos and blacks voted for Republicans, for Trump, at a much higher level than expected. Yeah. I mean, is is this, does this bode well for the Republicans? You know, whether uh, Trump just won't go away and he's back in four years, or, or maybe it's going to be Ted Cruz or Mitt Romney or whoever. Do you yeah. think the Republicans are going to continue to try to ride the populist wave? I think they are. I think that a lot of Republicans like uh, Ted
1: Cruz and and maybe even Mitt Romney, who knows, and Marco Rubio, they're all eyeing 2024, and they're all trying to decide what the best angle is, and they all know that they've got to capture— most of the Trumpers that is the majority like the maybe the vast majority of the Trumpers because they're not going to get a lot from the Democrats side because the Democrats still hate Trump and the GOP so much that they're not gonna you know split off and bleed off the Trump stain with the people who really hated him is still gonna uh, gonna stick to him I think. So Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and the rest have a really tough decision about how closely they embrace uh, the Trumpers. Currently, their decision seems to be embrace them 100 percent all the way, pretend we're populists and uh, hitch our wagon to that star. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off because nobody has a personality like Trump. He might be, you know, a, a, a unique character there and they're likely going to be facing down the man himself. I mean, what are you going to do if you have to go up against Trump in a primary and try to shut him down, denigrate his ideas, and tell him tell the Trumpers that they're wrong about something? These are not people that want to be told that they're wrong about anything at any time. And they hold a grudge, I'll tell you what, lock her up, right? They will hold a grudge for years and
0: years. And yet, isn't there this residual Trump exhaustion syndrome that, that has to have been experienced by the great majority? of the 70 million plus who voted for Trump, I mean, you look back at the last four years, and it really wasn't a lot of fun. I mean, basically, you've got food fights, you've got families that can't get along. It was yeah, exhausting with this guy in our it, lives. Are people really going to want to invite him back to the party? This is a very, I think, important psychological uh, uh, reality about humans
1: um, that we are loath to accept. But cults, writ large, have figured it out, right? Uh, specifically, uh, f- famously, Jehovah's Witness, and not to offend any of our Jehovah's Witness listener. Too late, already um, did. Yeah, already. You, you put them um, in the same paragraph with cult. Yeah, they. Uh, uh, understand well the technique um, and and the reality that survival of the fittest is not survival of the happiest. so in order for your cult to survive and be thus thus the fittest because it continues and prospers and grows and gets more members, um, you need to uh, latch on to the psychological reality that there's an in-group, out-group uh, barrier. And you need to draw that line firmly. And you say, you're on our side or you're on their side. And they send the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, among many other cults, send their members out into the world and tell them, proselytize, preach, witness to these people, go out there, do whatever you can, stand on street corners, knock on doors, well, whoever else. And the Mormons do the same thing. And they go, say go out there and get rejected over and over and over and you know what happens when you get rejected and shut down you feel terrible and then you run back to the group and you you the sweet sweet embrace of the cult coming back <laughs> you, they say don't worry they're bad they're evil they're other they're on the outside but we love you we will take care of you and that's what happened with Trump is every time they turn around and somebody said you're bad for liking Trump the Trump family opens its arms wide and goes yes but we love you come back in and that well, me- exhaustion and the, the hatred that's created between the outside and the inside, that's bad. But it makes everybody inside the Trump circle feel warmer and fuzzier Let me because give you they a different are take. othering everyone else.
0: Let me give you a different take. Okay. I'm not sure I'm buying into the idea that America's uh, into cults, that uh, a, a very high percentage of the 70 million Trumpsters really are cultists. I, I have a different explanation, and, and, and please give me your take. Uh, Love I'll, to I'll lay it, it out. I think that um, the focus on progressivism is what made it so close this year. When you talk open borders, when you talk about defunding the police, when you talk about paying for health care for illegals, when you have Black Lives Matter protesters standing outside of condos and yelling, give us your stuff, come out and and give us your property. uh, And people see that when you see people gathering around diners at restaurants, gathering around Black Lives Matter supporters in restaurants and are being uh, screamed at and told to raise your fist to acknowledge the correctness of our position. And the lady who was a BLM supporter, she's white, and all the protesters there in the restaurant were white, she said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not being bullied into that. I mean, everybody saw that. And on the other hand, people also saw basic Republican values like capitalism and individualism and rewarding hard work. And I think those two extreme visions were on the ballot, even though they weren't literally, those words weren't there. And now,
1: they weren't liter- you're absolutely right that they weren't literally on the ballot in the sense that Joe Biden and most of the other candidates that the Democrats put forward had no intention, not secretly or publicly, of advocating for or legislating into, into existence, open borders right. or even Medicare for but All or was, any other socialist program. Right. It was a propaganda ganda story that the right ate up like kitty litter, a Kitty litter, kitty kibble. They, they love it. It's, it's kibble for
0: the right. And the Republicans were able to establish that there was an AOC patina to the Democrat approach. And I think what happened is that the fight against racism that the BLM represented morphed into a fight against capitalism in the minds of a lot of people. I mean, you, you look at, at what the Census Department reported last year mm-hmm. median household income grew 7%, the largest annual increase in America's history. Low income workers and minority Benefited tremendously from the faster growth before the pandemic. Last year, real median U.S. household income rose by about four thousand bucks to sixty-nine thousand, and that's fifty percent more than during the eight years of the Obama presidency. Obviously, it nice. suffered from from the setback, the economic setback. The wealthy benefited from a surging stock market last year, but the lower and middle income class was also sharing more in the company's growing wealth. The median household incomes increased as follows. Hispanics, 7%. Blacks, 8%. Asians, 11%. Mm -hmm. Workers born outside of America, 9%. All those numbers are higher than the increases for whites, which were 6%, and Americans born in America, 6%. The poverty rate in 2019 fell 1.3 percentage points down to 10.5%, the lowest level since 1959. So the bottom line is, I think a lot of Americans were really joining a cult for Trump. They were simply saying, you know, uh, the old Ronald Reagan question, are you better off now than you were uh, four years ago? If so, vote except, for me. And they voted for except, him in overwhelming numbers. Except
1: Americans were not dis- making that decision as of January 2020 or December 2019 when those numbers were true. Yeah, those numbers are last year's numbers. They're making those numbers, uh, those decisions in November of 2020 after nine of the worst months the in American history. Pandemic was a uniquely bad situation. Right. Yeah. A cult thrives in a culture of fear when the world is scary and dark and a strong man steps forward and says, I will kill the other. I will defeat them. And I will defend you because I am strong. I will be your king. People say, oh, maybe that sounds comforting. And they go that direction. I don't think that people were riding a wave of economic success in the presidential election of 2020 after we, the unemployment crisis that will ring through the ages. And they certainly didn't vote, as you said, in overwhelming numbers. We're We're talking carving away some of the Democratic base in some of the subgroups of some minorities, while Biden also then recruited back a whole bunch of white people. But really, we can't even say that because that tells this false narrative that somehow uh, the uh, that white people won this election for Joe Biden. They didn't. They just stopped in, uh, in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania Uh, They stopped voting for Trump and went back to their normal, more normal voting patterns while we got a wave out of Arizona where, for instance, uh, the the First Nations peoples in in Arizona voted uh, like 90, 89 percent for uh, Biden with a 98 percent turnout rate. So and their like their population size was more than double uh, Biden's margin of victory in that crucial state that he flipped blue. And in Georgia, where black voters largely from Atlanta and that county gave him that uh, that state in the Electoral College. These are the stories of uh, uh, of the 2020 election. It's not uh, economic success that people were riding away by. I mean, look around if we're not living in an economically prosperous time and people are upset with how Trump handled it. The, the pandemic and the economy.
0: That's for sure. So I think what we need to do is just make an announcement here. Any of you Jehovah's Witnesses, if you'd like to write to Connor, just to Connor Oaks, Los Angeles, California. That's all the address you need.
1: <laughs> yeah, please. Just like, Don't go trying to find the actual just, address. Just
0: like Billy Graham. And that's just a, a harkening back to my childhood. Classic. When I used to hear on the radio, yeah. Billy Graham, and he would uh, say, he'd ask people to send in money. And he would say, write me Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need. And if you want to send me money, yeah. I'll give you a real address, yeah. I'll tell you. What? Not only no street address, he didn't need a zip code. Uh, zip codes may not have been born in the end, I'm not sure. If it's possible. Uh, when we come back, large capacity magazines uh, banned, and I'm not talking about look and life here. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers, I'm Roy Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So the Ninth Circuit uh, has uh, addressed the question, Connor, of whether large-capacity magazines, uh, semi-automatic pistols that, that have uh, rounds of you know 12 or 16 or more, whether they should be banned. And surprisingly, the Ninth Circuit, known for kind of a liberal tilt, uh, came out uh, on the right uh, of center side. Yeah. The, the, the gun rights case uh, raised a couple of interesting issues. First, the Ninth Circuit did rule that California's ban on large-capacity magazines... Which is to say 10 or more... Right.
1: Bullets in a single magazine.
0: Right. They said that uh, that is an unconstitutional ban. The court noted that of the 230 million weapons in America, about 115 million do have magazines exceeding 10 rounds. Large capacity magazines uh, are illegal in 41 states and uh, under federal law. The most popular handguns in America, the Glock and the Beretta, commonly have 15 or 16 rounds. So what the court concluded was the Second Amendment protects a gun owner's right. In this context, there is no justification for applying the so-called strict scrutiny constitutional rule uh, when evaluating this gun law. So the analysis doesn't have to resemble uh, the situation uh, where you discriminate it on the basis of race. Uh, that would trigger a strict scrutiny analysis. So you'd really have to have a strong justification uh, for for striking down yeah. uh, the, the law. The, the opinion was written by appellate judge
1: Kenneth Lee, who was appointed by Trump. Um, and I think. A lot of people are looking at this outcome as kind of a bellwether uh, of one of the symptoms, one of the, the results that we're gonna hear Uh, uh, more from uh, the Ninth Circuit in favor of uh, the conservatives now that Mitch McConnell has stacked so many conservative appointee, Trump appointees, into the federal appellate courts, including the Ninth Circuit. Classically liberal, but we may have uh, uh, lost that bent and gained a new bent, depending, or maybe it'll just be uh, even in the horse trade back and forth. Frankly, I think a uh, 10-bullet magazine, uh, is so small in so many people's minds. I mean, 10 is just a small number. I think psychologically, uh, the the judges and the the judges' perception of what the public would think about this, uh, combined with the stats that you just provided about how many of these weapons, 115 million of them basically, would become illegal if this were uh, passed constitutional muster and then somehow passed all across the U.S. Of course, it would never get passed across the U.S., but this was just a California ban. But still, the, the numbers here are large. They're staggering. 10 just doesn't seem like that many bullets nobody really thinks uh, about uh, capacities of magazines and really like what does it mean to have a, i mean how many bullets do you need to shoot a deer two <laughs> maybe uh, maybe a really bad a really bad shot how many Depends bullets? On how
0: slippery the deer is then. right
1: i mean is there is there really a, a a logical distinction that people people can make in their brains about well i need 10 bullets to protect myself from a home intruder which basically never happens or
0: i need uh but I don't need twelve bullets. I yeah, mean, but when I don't you know. hear the ma- about the mass shootings, isn't there usually a big backlash against guns? Yes. that that can yeah. fire off many rounds one after another. Oh, but these are those are semi-automatic
1: uh, 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 weapons. They're they're still only semi-automatic. They're not fully automatic. Fully automatic is you pull the trigger, it just fires until there's it's empty. Right. Semi-automatic, you've got to pull the trigger once for each bullet. So. Almost all automatic weapons are banned, period. Semi, uh, uh, but you can modify guns to become automatic, so lots of people have them anyway. It's a problem. But semi-automatic guns with 10 bullet capacities means you have to pull the trigger 10 times to fire off 10 shots. Is that really going to change the outcome of... Uh, of, of a, a mass shooting, whether it's 10 bullets in the clip or 12 bullets. No, but it might change the outcome of a mass shooting if it's 10 bullets versus 40. And that's something that maybe, you know, some sort of mass shooting expert might be able to talk about or tell us about. And I'm sure that California, you know, talked to a group of these people. That's why we have legislatures uh, who, full of legislators who are elected officials whose job it is to talk to experts and come to conclusions on this stuff. Well, talk to lobbyists mostly, but still it. Whereas, you know, the, the public looks at this and says, I don't know, 10 bullets? Is that too much? Is 12 bullets too much? What's the number? But now, no one really knows.
0: Now, Connor, you uh, mentioned the uh, fact that one of the judges who wrote the opinion for the oh Sorry, there are no was, Trump judges. ...was appointed... We only call balls and strikes. That's where I'm headed. It was appointed by a Republican. Yeah. And, of course, the Chief Justice of the United States would be very disappointed at your comment because he said... The Chief that Justice There is are no liar. Obama judges and there, there are. are no Trump judges. But, but there, are there are just good, hard-working Right. federal judges. I, I want to mention a couple of stats for you. Uh, of the three judge panel that voted in favor of uh, of uh, the get striking down the restriction on the guns, two were appointed by Republican presidents, Bush and Trump, and they were in the majority. And one judge voting against uh, the gun rights was appointed by Clinton. Now, on banc review mm-hmm. by an appellate court at the federal level is available. If you uh, lose and you say, well, doggone it, I'm not taking it lying down. I want the full Ninth Circuit to hear this. And if a majority of the full Ninth Circuit uh, votes for that, then uh, they pick uh, a ran- by random selection a majority of that full Ninth Circuit. And then they hear it as sort of a super court on-bank. Right. There are 29 judges on the Ninth Circuit. 16 were appointed by Democrats. And thirteen were appointed by Republicans. So, you want to make a prediction as to whether or not uh, you're going to see on banc relief for the Democrat side of this issue? So, what's your prediction? I, I don't
1: know. I I think I think uh, it's really hard to predict what an on banc panel would do. Um, Now that the composition of the Ninth Circuit is changing, I expect that it's probably slightly weighted uh, liberal still and that they'll probably, the odds are, they'll end up uh, overturning this one. But like I said, and that's kind of why I was highlighting this 10-bullet ban. 10 bullets? It's just not a lot of bullets. I could see a bunch of liberal judges still saying 10 is too small, Mm -hmm. California. Uh, You know, I mean, there's a big difference between saying uh, people can't own bazookas versus saying people can't own 10-bullet magazines. I mean...
0: (laughs) So the attorney general of, the, of California is oh, uh, uh, right, Mr. Becerra, and uh, I mentioned him because he's the, the name party on this gun case. Oh, okay. But his name has also come up in another interesting context, That's and it. that is now that uh, Kamala Harris is going to be vice president of the United States, there's an opening in the U.S. Senate from California, and Governor Somebody's got to fill it. Governor Newsom gets to fill it. Yeah uh... people are wondering if maybe he'll appoint himself cuz that is actually possible and if you go back in american history the only time a governor uh... has appointed himself uh... to the u s senate and then run for re-election and one was one time I don't even recall the guy's name but it was like a hundred years ago so voters don't really like the idea it doesn't uh, seem yeah. it seems pretty shady All right so some people are wondering now. what are the odds you're the perfect candidate and our, uh, really our pal uh, Doug McIntyre formerly a morning host on KABC Uh, who is a columnist for the Daily News, he wrote this morning a column. He referred to uh, Newsom and Garcetti as kind of like Laurel and Hardy because uh, there was a... uh, uh, a movie in the in the uh, 20s he was alluding to, but the idea was that maybe uh, Governor Newsom would consider uh, appointing Garcetti to the seat, but that that might give Newsom. How or- do they replace the governor? Does Newsom get to say, "I'm the senator
1: for California"? And oh, yeah. on then, the way out, then I they replace- have an election, special election, oh, it's a special re- election to replace the governor, okay. yeah. so he doesn't get to appoint his his replacement as governor. <laughs> no, no, no. Because then he puts Garcetti in that spot. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah,
0: the, <laughs> the dominoes would fall. So anyway, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. California Absolutely. political front, Newsom is going to be picking somebody, probably one of the uh, Karen Bass, some of the, the prominent Democrat uh, politicians in California, probably probably not Garcetti and likely not himself. because no. it just be so that little, would be funny. A little bit weird. All right. Well, we didn't get to vaping. We'll get to vaping next week. We'll talk about whether uh, the scourge of vaping should be uh, dealt with by the just say no Nancy Reagan approach that we're using or some other means. We'll see you again on Too Many Lawyers.